Well, we're going to talk about holiness today, and it, it feels a little odd to talk about holiness because I know that it is not at the top of the list of what most people want to hear about, uh, and yet the very purpose for which God chose us is that we would be holy and blameless before Him. And we're told to make every effort to be holy, and without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So holiness should interest us. It should be a very important topic for us. Now, our statement this morning that that I've chosen for us is, we will pursue holiness together as a church. We've been emphasizing that we are members of one another, and so I want us to, to look at this whole idea of pursuing holiness together as a church family. We are each one called to be holy, of course, but we are also called to be holy as the church. Uh, in the scripture, the church is called a holy nation. We are addressed as a holy people. We are a holy priesthood. And we are also called to be holy as a local church. We're not just called to be holy as the church in general out there. We are called to be holy as a specific family of believers right here in this place. And that will be our emphasis this morning. Uh, But before we get fully into that, I think we need to clearly see or understand what holiness really is because there's a lot of false ideas about holiness. And even when we just say the word holiness, there's a a lot of different ideas that come into people's minds and not all of them are right. Paul said, Christ loved the church and he gave himself for her that he might sanctify her. That word sanctify means to make her holy. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might make her holy, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That's from Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. But the thing I want you to see from that is the great purpose of, of Christ's love and his death is to make you holy. The great purpose of Christ's love and his death is to make us holy, to make his church holy. And this will happen. We will be presented to God in perfect splendor or glory without spot, without any spot of sin or any wrinkle or fault. And this is a tremendous thing that we have set out before us. And it's, it's, it's something that we hope in. It's an expectancy. It's something that gives us a great spiritual optimism in our hearts. This tr- glory that awaits us. But this cleansing work uh, begins now. We are being made holy by the sanctifying influence of the Holy Spirit. We are called to a supernatural holiness. Paul said, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify 
or fulfill the desires of the flesh. In other words, as we are in contact and communion with the Spirit, we become holy. It's a supernatural holiness. Holiness is much different than just keeping rules. Romans 7, 6 says, We have been released from the law so that we might serve in the new way of the Spirit. The new way of the Spirit will make us holy, not by a written code, but from the inside out, through the work of the Spirit in us, through the sanctifying influences of the Spirit. J.I. Packer described people who make progress in holiness. He, he was talking about why do some people make progress in holiness, some don't seem to. And he, so he was describing those who make progress in holiness. And he said, they go to Jesus about everything that comes up in order to become clear on how they should react to it as his disciples. I love that description of holiness. They go to Jesus about everything that comes up in order to become clear on how they should react to it as his disciples. Holiness flows out of our fellowship with Jesus and our obedience to Jesus. Holiness is being faithful and true to the Lord. It is not just being a nice person or a good person. It is having a heart that is wholly devoted to the Lord. It is having a heart that belongs to Him, that is set apart unto Him, devoted to Him. Holiness is both our status right now and it is our calling or it's something that we are called to. Uh, Hebrews 10.10 says, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And this is, this is a really important thing for us to understand. Our status before God right now is that we are holy ones. Praise God. I mean, that's how we can come to Him freely and boldly. And we preach that as a church heavily. And it's something we, you'll hear here on Sunday morning, every, almost every week, you know, we talk about the, the complete cleansing, purifying, justifying work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, and we come to, to God, not on the basis of our works or performance, but on Him who has made us holy. But then knowing this, knowing that we have been clothed with His holiness, knowing this and being confident of this, we are to live out or practice holiness. Peter said, be holy in all you do. 1 Peter 2.24 says, Christ Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. That is holiness. Dying to sin and living to righteousness. It is a work of Christ. His wounds heal us from our sins. 
his wounds take care of the problem of sin or the, the, he, he washes away our sins and gives us a status of peace with God. But his wounds also work to deliver us from the power, the domination of sin in our hearts and lives. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, if sin is the disease, follow this closely, okay. if sin is the disease, and it is, holiness is what follows after the cure of Jesus Christ is applied to our lives. Sin is being sick. Holiness is getting well. By his wounds, we have been healed. Holiness is not a bad thing. Holiness is not a depressing thing. Sin is depressing. Holiness leads to happiness. Holiness leads to beauty in our lives. Psalm 29.2 says, Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. A.W. Pink said, Holiness is the antithesis of sin. And the beauty of holiness is in direct contrast to the ugliness of sin. Sin is a deformity, a monstrosity. Sin is repulsive, repellent to the infinitely pure God. That is why he selected leprosy, the most loathsome and horrible of all diseases, to be the emblem of sin. Thomas Watson said, the beauty of holiness is the only kind of beauty which the Lord cares for in his people. It is not greatness which sets us off before God, but goodness. It is the beauty of holiness which God looks for in his people. God is not looking for great ability. God is not looking for powerful personalities. God is not looking for hip and cool people. God is not looking for successful people. God looks for goodness and holiness in his people and in his church. Holiness is for every believer. Uh, somewhere we've gotten the idea that holiness is just for a certain few that happen to be inclined to pursue that way of life. But no, not at all. Holiness is for every believer Paul said everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness and the next verse tells us why we do that this is a I'm taking this from second uh, Timothy 2 19 through 21 everyone who confesses or who names the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness why? In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is common or dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Well, who's the master of the house? It's God. It's our Father. Okay. Amen. 
So we, we cleanse ourselves from what is common or dishonorable so that we might be set apart as holy, useful to the Master. Holiness means set apart for God. We are for the Lord's special use. Every single one of you out there who belongs to Christ, you are to be for the Lord's special use. And we want Him to use our lives, don't we? Isn't that the cry of our heart? God, use me. Use my life. Make my life count for your kingdom and for your glory. That's the cry of the heart of every believer, every born-again believer. Another passage that I think helps us understand uh, this is 1 Peter 1, 14-15. Peter said, Holiness is like children obeying their father. First Peter, one of our passages this morning that Brian read, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So like children, we want to please our Father. Holiness is like children being obedient to their Father. It's like children wanting to be like their father. He is holy, and so we want to be like our father who is holy. Holiness is the spontaneous outcome of fearing the Lord. Paul said, Therefore, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that defiles body and spirit, Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's uh, our verse from 2 Corinthians 7, 1. We do not fear God as slaves under a tyrannical master, but we do fear Him as our Holy Father. And that reverential fear of God drives sin out of our lives. I mean, the fear of God is a powerful force it has a powerful effect on our lives and quite honestly where I've seen people that just struggle with kind of living in sin month after month year after year and just keep going back into it there's almost always an an absence or a lack of the fear of the Lord in their lives the fear of the Lord purifies our hearts like very few other things do. So we are to take the matter of holiness seriously. We take it seriously for the sake of our own individual, personal relationship with the Lord, our own walk with God. But we also pursue holiness as a church family. We pursue holiness together. And that's, that's really where I want to focus our attention the rest of this message. Uh, A man named Reuben Hunter from the Gospel Coalition said he had never seen the topic of planting holy churches on the schedule at a pastor's conference. Yet one of our most important callings as churches is to be holy churches. He said, as we look to the day when Christ's bride will be blemish-free, Let us build churches now marked by the beauty of holiness 
in increasing measure all the way to glory. Christ's concern that each local church family be holy is clearly seen in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. That's where Christ dictated letters, so to speak, or he sent messages through John, through an angel, through John, to seven churches. And these were messages from Christ to each one of these seven local churches. They were local churches just like ours in real cities with real people. And in these letters, Christ commends each church, church for things that they were doing well, and he rebukes them for what they were not doing well or what they were doing wrong, but he commended or rebuked them as a church. This was something that, that each church as a, as a whole, together, they were warned or commended. For example, to the church at Ephesus, Jesus said, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. That collectively as a church, they were doing a lot of good stuff. They were a hard-working church. They were persevering. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. As a church, they had lost their first passionate love for Christ and for one another. It was not only an individual failure, it was a church failure. Jesus said to the church in Sardis, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. I find this letter one of the most interesting. You know, other people were saying, hey, things are really going on at that church over there in Sardis. Things are really happening. That's, that's, a, that's a really live place. That's where you want to be. That's where you want to go to church. Jesus said, you're dead. We can be spiritually dead or alive individually, or we can be dead or alive as a church family. The church at Laodicea was lukewarm. Jesus said, you say, interesting, he says, you say, he's talking to the whole church together. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. So these were, these were unholy or ungodly attitudes that they had developed collectively as a church. And Jesus said, no, that's not the reality at all. You guys don't know that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. So they were rebuked as a church. Christ sees us individually, of course, and I think we probably all know that. And, and maybe that's the only way we ever think about it. But Christ also sees us as a church. And he is concerned about our holiness as a church. It is not just about me and how I am doing spiritually. It is about keeping the whole church true and pure and loving and on fire for Christ. And we are to be devoted to one another for that purpose. We have a responsibility to be 
holy together. It's a group project. Dietrich Bonhoeffer had a, a really clear insight on this. He wrote a, a book on the church called Life Together. And he said that how we each live when we are alone affects our life together as a church. And it does. He said in, in his solitude or in his times when he is alone, a Christian can sunder and besmirch the fellowship or he can strengthen and hallow it. On the other hand, when there is on the other hand, there is no sin in thought, word, or deed, no matter how personal or secret, that does not inflict injury upon the whole fellowship. An element of sickness gets into the body. Perhaps, no, somebody, perhaps nobody knows where it came from or in what member it is lodged, but the body is infected. We are members of a body not only when we choose to be, but in our whole existence. This truth is powerfully demonstrated in the Bible by the story of Achan in the book of Joshua. You know, right after Israel's great victory at Jericho, they came, I mean, Jericho, that was a big target. I mean, that was, that was a major problem. They had this, this was a, it was a big walled city. And, and, and they defeated Jericho. And you know the story, I'm not going to go into it, but, but right after that, they came after Jericho, they came to a much smaller city called Ai. And the Lord had told them to destroy all the property and to not take any of the spoil at Jericho. But a man named Achan secretly took some beautiful clothes and some silver and gold, and it says he, he lied about it and hid them in his tent under the ground with his own possessions. And even though Ai should have been an easy victory, the entire nation suffered a terrible defeat. A lot of people died. And they couldn't figure out what went wrong and why they were defeated by this very small group of people in the city of Ai. But the Lord revealed it was a problem of holiness in the nation. It was, it was a result of the sin of this one man, Achan. That's why it's important for every one of us together to pursue holy living. Pastor, a famous, well-known, old uh, pastor, uh, godly man, a couple hundred years ago, didn't, I didn't look up the exact date. I've read some of his writings before. But Pastor Robert Murray McChain said, listen to this carefully, please. He said, he was speaking as a pastor, but it applies to every one of us. He said, my people's greatest need is my personal holiness. The greatest thing that his people needed from him wasn't to be a fantastic speaker. It was for him to live a holy life. And that's what we need from one another. Parents, that's what your kids need from you more than anything else. 
the most loving thing you can do for your kids or for your spouse or for the rest of the church family is to be wholly devoted to the Lord, to pursue holiness. All right, how do we live this out? I want to move on to several things that I, I think are important or just how we apply this to our own lives and, and to the church. First, uh, we must wake up to God's purpose or to wake up to the reality that God's purpose is to make us holy. God's purpose is to make you holy. Uh, it's not just a side project. I mean, that's like the overall, the overarching purpose of God is to make you holy, to make me holy, to make us holy. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Titus 2, 11-14, that Brian read for us this morning, For the grace of God has appeared. In the NIV it says, It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. And we... I, th I think a lot of us suffer a lot of confusion in the Christian life because we don't know the purpose for which we were saved. And that verse tells us. So we must understand that this is God's purpose and give our hearts and our lives to that purpose. Second, we must keep the gods of this world out of the church. The biggest challenge Israel faced was always keeping the gods of the surrounding nations out of their nation. And as a church, we must stand firm against the gods of this world, against the philosophy of this world, the wisdom of the world. We, we have to be able to, to, to discern the difference between God's word and human psychology or mere human ideas. We we must remember that holiness means to be set apart for the Lord. Third, we must be prepared to suffer in order to be holy. We must be prepared to suffer in order to be holy or to remain holy. Holiness will put us at odds with the world. There's no doubt. Someone said, if we are faithful to the Lord, the world will see us as dumb and dangerous. Paul said our gospel is foolishness to the world. God's truth is scoffed at in the world, and we see it just more and more and more openly. God's revelation on marriage and sex and the sanctity of life is hated by the world. It is so easy to go along and get along and give in to the immense pressure of the world that we face as believers. And it will be increasingly hard to be a holy church. And so we must be willing to suffer 
in order to be holy. Third, we must seriously take our need to give and receive continuous exhortation. Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another day, uh, day after day or every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We are, we are to urge one another daily to, to hold fast to Christ, which was the, really the theme of Hebrews. We are to urge one another to encourage one another to hold fast to Christ and not be deceived into sin. In other words, to, not, to live holy lives. And this is why we meet to, together to encourage one another. It's what we're doing here this morning. One of the main purposes that we do to encourage us in such a way that we're built up and that we're, we're not deceived by sin or lukewarmness, but we're encouraged day after day, week after week to live holy lives. And we're told to do this all the more as you see the day drawing near. There, there's an urgency, there's an importance to this. God knows that we need this to live holy lives. We pursue holiness together. Paul said, pursue, he said, flee youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You are not the only one seeking to live a holy life. There are many others who are on this path. And so Paul basically says, get with other people who are on this path, who are pursuing righteousness, peace, and love. In other words, holiness. Those who are calling on the Lord, desiring this holy way of life, get with them. Pursue this along with them. Fourth, or maybe fifth, I'm not sure what the, what, where I'm at on that, but we must take radical steps to be holy. Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's pretty shocking, especially to our modern uh, sensibilities. Uh, it was, it, I mean, Jesus said it, I think, to be shocking in the day that he spoke those words uh, today with how sensitive we are to everything. Uh, we, can hardly even, we can hardly even hear that. But Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Now, Jesus did not mean to literally chop your hand off, but he meant that we should be uh, deadly serious or radical about putting to death the deeds of the flesh. I think I've told this before, so if I have, forgive me, but many years ago I met with a man who was engaged in an immorality that was obviously an offense to God, a sin against God, but it was seriously damaging his marriage, on the verge of falling apart. And this had been ongoing for years. And he said he had been told well, just to keep working on it, and over time, God would help him to stop doing it. And I, I felt the Spirit of God came upon me, and I said, 
If you were robbing convenience stores, what should I tell you as your pastor? I would tell you, and I should tell you, to repent of that sin and never, ever rob another store again. And that's what I did tell him. And I told him that you will need that kind of repentance with this sin or it'll never stop dominating you. Sins do not go out passively. We, we have to kick them out. We are to be, we, we talked Sunday afternoon, last Sunday afternoon at Brian's about radical repentance. We, we have to be strong in our repentance. We, we renounce sin, which is, that's what grace teaches us to do, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. We, we repudiate, it's a, it's a strong act within our hearts, that's what real repentance is. In, in the language of the Bible, we put them to death. Paul said, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. You must put off falsehood. Anyone who has been stealing must steal less. No. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Do not let any unwholesome word or unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Sexual immorality and all impurity must not even be named among you. Let there be no filthy talk or crude joking. You are light in the Lord. Now walk as children of light in all that is good and right and true. I'm afraid a lot of times we don't think that strongly about how we need to deal with our sin. And because of that, it just kind of always keeps following us around. It just always keeps being there, kind of hindering us, as it talks about in Hebrews. And we need to lay it aside. We need to, to practice radical repentance. Now, I know when we talk about holiness, it, it, it can be it can be hard. It can be hard for us to talk about it or to hear about it. I know it can stir up awareness of past or present failing, but that isn't always a bad thing. I mean, Jesus had to bring up the bad things that were going on in the churches in order to call them to repentance and to change and to become the kind of churches that he wanted them to to be. So uh, don't always think that something is wrong or you know something's wrong with the sermon um, because you're not f- feeling so good as you're listening to it. Um, God, saw, God has to put his finger on things in our lives in order to change us. And if we just if we just always want to feel comfortable and feel good about everything that's going on, everything we read, everything we hear, everything that's said in church, 
uh, you know, we're just going to remain right where we're at. We are not going to be pursuing holiness the way that God wants us to. But I also know that each of us need to know that where we have failed or when we do fail or maybe where we're presently failing, we need to know that we can get back on the pathway to holy living quickly. And I know some people have problems with, with First John 1, 9. I've always found it a tremendous blessing. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And boom, you're right back on the path to holy living. The church that had fallen the farthest and really, really the deepest in sin was the church at Laodicea. But even to that church, Christ said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and, and will eat with that person and they with me. And really, the letters to the seven churches really give us a, the pathway of getting, of, of, of getting back to holy living. It's repenting. Every, to every church, Jesus said, repent. You know, if, you, if you have ears to hear, repent. Repent, and then reopen the door of your heart to Christ. You repent, and you throw open the doors again of your heart to Christ. And he promises that he'll come right back in. Even, even this church that had been lukewarm they've been proud they told they basically told jesus i don't need you we don't need anything we're doing fine even though they'd fall into that state of sin jesus said if anyone hears my voice and opens the door i will come in and that that's how we become holy yeah. as individuals and and as a church and that's how we that's how we stay holy as a church we keep we keep living in in repentance and reopening uh, the door of our hearts to Christ. Really, day after day, week, week after week. So let's pray.